Welcome to The Vagicians. And we're here for you, the typical female, answering your not-so-typical questions women have about their health and well-being. Our panel of in-the-trench OBGYN experts includes Dr. Roslyn Mallory, Dr. Jacob Martin, and Dr. Sam Wolfe, who don't shy away from the challenges of female health today. We'll discuss everything from babies to menopause, periods and breasts, and everything in between. The Vagicians podcast is brought to you by Wolf Variety Entertainment and made possible by All About Women OBGYN, the Healthy Start Program, Emerald Coast Obstetrics and Gynecology, and the Panama City Surgery Center. Let's jump right in and jam with our team of Vagicians, Dr. Mallory, Dr. Martin, and Dr. Wolf. Here's our host, Rayanne Kruger. And we're back. Welcome back to The Vagicians. This is Rayanne Kruger, your host. I am here with our amazing panel of OBGYN experts. Hello. Hello. Okay. I don't know if we're going to keep these guys awake today. They've all had very busy days because guess what? They are all working doctors. Thanks again Mm -hmm. for joining me, Dr. Sam Wolf, Dr. Rosalind Mallory, and Dr. Jacob Martin. It's a pleasure as always. Happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we're going to jump right in. Sex episode part two. We had an opportunity to talk about sex in episode or sex episode as we're calling it part one, but we're going to keep moving forward. I want to talk about the actual act of sex. Tell us a little bit about what the medical terminology or definition of sex is. Well, that's a long topic because you have to go into what's the purpose on an animal physiology basis. And that's basically for genetic diversity. If you have an organism that just replicates itself, it just makes an exact copy of itself and just keeps going, kind of like a bacteria when it divides right. itself. Okay. You're depending on mutation as the source of genetic diversity. And that's really not enough for a complex organism. So there has to be some way to rapidly shake the genes up. Because remember, as the environment and climate and everything like this constantly changes, The species that's having sex has to basically have genetic diversity to be able to survive any situation that occurs in that climate. How about that, Dr. Mallory? What do you think of that deep scientific? (laughs) That was very, very clinical and boring. (laughs) (laughs) I was kind of dazing out, too. I'm glad you asked Dr. Mallory a question because I totally zoned out. That was incredibly awful. Yeah. But true. So thank you for sharing that that very... In the background of that when I was talking about that or something like that. (laughs) Very, very, very clinical. So I don't know if you guys even know this. I know it's enjoyable. Sex is enjoyable for humans. Is it enjoyable for other species? I would say I think it's just a fundamental need of most species. That's what a lot of them seem like they live for. Look at things like spiders who, you know, are going to die every time they have sex. Wow. Or praying mantis. Praying mantis is one of the most incredible ones to me is the praying mantis. The male gets its head chewed off to ejaculate. So the, the female <laughs> literally, some acid in too. <laughs> the, the female, the female yeah, literally wow. bites the head off of the male and that's oh, how they, the fertilization occurs. That's so, there's I mean, so much I, I to say much, there. Really, really enjoyable for them in particular because <laughs> I wouldn't be into it if, <laughs> if it were if it weren't enjoyable, you wouldn't be into it. That makes sense. That makes sense. And uh, the proliferation of the species we right? all love because that's what keeps you know every uh, the species going. Right. Right. Okay. There's so much more to say, and I'm sure we're gonna 
talk about this more in the future, but let's move forward. I want to talk about safe sex. I don't think we covered too much of that in sex episode part one. Are there any precautions you can share for women and for men? Because this show isn't just for women. I mean, we are focusing on female health and well-being, but we want men to understand female health and well-being. So, and also for them to practice safe sex and understand that women are concerned about it. So let's talk a little bit about that. What are some precautions? Definitely condoms. That's going to be your best bet. And if he says he can't find one to fit one, that's a lie. I think when we talk about safe sex, there's a couple probably different facets of it Mm -hmm. that you're kind of focusing on. Number one is prevention from STDs. There's actually sexually transmitted infections now. Sorry, it's not STD, it's STI. STI, Mm -hmm. yeah. And that would be what Dr. Mallory's talking about with your barrier protection, such as condoms. I think another form of safe sex is like consensual sex, right? Between two consensual adults, right? So that's probably number two on the list. And number three is probably some good contraception so that you can have sex without having to worry about getting pregnant, right? I mean, it's probably three things in safe sex. Okay. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I think Dr. Wolf mentioned in a previous episode that the only safe sex is what? No sex, right? Or the only way to (laughs) prevent pregnancy is to not have sex, right? (laughs) is to not have sex. I think that, you know, condoms are incredibly (laughs) important and I think they should be used. They're really going to protect you the most from things like gonorrhea, chlamydia. We see it every day. But you have to remember one of the most commonly transmitted or the most commonly transmitted sexual infection or disease is is HPV virus. Everybody knows what HPV is now. There's hundreds of types of this now or uh, at least a hundred viral types now, but it's a contact disease. So it's particularly with venereal warts and things like that, which we're seeing less of now that the vaccine's been around for you know a decade or so. But it's a contact disease. So where the wart would be on the man, which is usually at the bottom, at the base of the penis, is going to kind of match up during intercourse with the external genitalia of the female. Mm. Now, condom often doesn't roll all the way down to that bottom part. And so I think that that's how even with condoms, there's certain situations, herpes is included in that. If you have a herpes blister that's below that condom, it's a contact disease. It's literally skin to skin is how it happens. Mm. So condoms are great, but even condoms aren't perfect. And you have to think of other things as well. Well, and I, go ahead. back off what Sam is saying, I would highly recommend getting the Gardasil vaccine to um, okay. protect HPV. Okay. And you can get that all the way up to 41. age 40, 41 or something like that. Okay. Yeah, they've, they've increased the age of it and for the longest time. And the insurance companies and whatnot would only cover it. Up to 18 years of age. Yeah, young people. Young and then they extended it. And then there's actually some really neat studies going on where they're actually giving the HPV virus to folks that have severe dysplasia and moderate to severe dysplasia and see how the immune system can be triggered to uh, assist in, in helping with the getting cured from that. You know, I've heard where they are injecting the AIDS virus or HIV also into some individuals that have cancer. And it's helping cure the cancer because we can control HIV now. So there's so many interesting things that they're doing. They're using the yeah. virus as like a vector, but it's not yeah. HIV. It's a phage virus. It's not actual HIV. Okay. HIV virus. Mm-hmm. But with CRISPR technology and all this stuff coming, right. they're, they're actually going to use viruses. Viruses will be one of the key things we use to treat disease, particularly cancers. Such a crazy time right now when you think of the COVID-19 virus and the Delta variant and how we're all on edge because of that. And it sounds like the future viruses will be another way for us to stay healthy and, and grow old. Because so, yep. the alternative to growing old is not not great. 
So um, one thing I think it's important to note is that a lot of times during foreplay, people don't wear a condom, right? And that's not, that it, you know, actual orgasm wearing a condom will prevent pregnancy. But in foreplay, if you're not wearing a condom, you're still coming in contact, skin to skin contact. And yeah, you're going to run the once, risk. Once the underpants come off. Yeah. The horse is out of the barn, so to speak, right? Exactly. So. All right. So let's talk about unsafe sex. You know, we've covered what safe sex is. Let's talk about unsafe sex. Do you guys have any stories you can share of patients that have come in or have had unsafe sex and it's caused an issue or a problem with yeah. their well, health? Or just once again, how you define what mm-hmm. do you, when you're defining the unsafe sex, right. do you mean unsafe from a contraceptive standpoint? Do you mean unsafe from a sexually transmitted infection standpoint? Or do you mean unsafe like you put yourself in a situation where you had a non-consensual sexual encounter? Right. Okay. So yeah, we see we, we see, see this all, the all of all the time. And so, you know, I guess you can weigh in on it, but I mean it's really still a very sad statistic to me is mm-hmm. the unintended pregnancy rate we still have oh, yeah. in this country. Yeah. It's yeah. it's mind boggling. You know, I would say still 50% or more of the pregnancies that come in, even to our office, are pregnancies that weren't exactly planned. Yeah. And so, yeah. right. Yeah. Well, it varies. I've seen them, they come in unplanned pregnancy, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden you did a one night stand and now you got triplets. So, mm-hmm. you yeah. stepped out one time and now all of a sudden you got herpes. So, it just varies. I think it's important to note age too. I think sometimes women feel like once they get to a certain age, they're protected either from herpes or from an unintended pregnancy. And, you know, I have a young friend who is, and she's not that young, but she's just had a baby and it was unintended. So I think it's really important to just be aware always that these unintended responses, whether it's pregnancy or an STI. uh, I can't speak for Sam or for Jacob, but for my, I know for my practice, my age group that constantly come in with STIs, thinking they just have regular BV and it turns out to be something else, are like 65 and over. Wow. They're the older group that are popping back up who the, yeah. think they are immune, like this stuff didn't happen. And then all of a sudden well, you I have think, to tell I think Gigi it, she has trick. Yeah, I think it goes to they wow. think, well, I'm not going to get pregnant so they right. don't wear the condom anymore. And then all, next right. thing you know, you know, you're yeah. going into thing without that barrier protection. Mm-hmm. And then there you go. Like the patients that are recently separated or recently divorced they've never really had to think about that right right same person you know now then they you know really aren't looking for something but then they're out with their friends and meet some person and they're just not really prepared because it's like i wasn't going out with the intention of doing this but hey this is looking good and (laughs) one thing one thing leads to another and you come in with the gift that keeps on giving yeah Yeah. that's uh, i think the quote from this episode will be gg has trick so All right. Well, let's move on to sexual dysfunction because I know we tried, I think we touched on it briefly in the other episode, but Dr. Wolf, I know that you would like to add some information about sexual dysfunction. Well, just want to reiterate that it's super common. It's been reported up to 43% of women, 12% of those said it caused them personal distress. It's broken up into categories. We talked about this a little bit. I think we really hit on the sexual we call it hypoactive sexual desire disorder, which kind right. of falls in. They've kind of combined that. It used to be a separate category as arousal disorder, but they've kind of combined these two now into categories. And we went over the treatments of that, I think, a little bit. If you look at the most studied treatment for that, it's actually testosterone, which we talked about. It's not really FDA approved, particularly when used transdermally, meaning given by the skin. But it is the most studied route 
And there's definitely evidence that it works. As far as the safety, most of the studies look at six months and they kind of fall off on that. So anybody on testosterone really needs to be seen or monitored at least on a six-month basis. It's a controlled medication now. They've thrown testosterone into the same category as, say, Percocet and narcotics. and Oh, wow. Things. So it's a controlled medication. So one of the things with any controlled medication, we can only write for that medication for up to six months. Oh, okay. So interestingly, so they've also looked at, hey, we always thought for the longest time that testosterone increased the cardiovascular risk. Hey, does this put women at the same risk for heart attacks as men, since men are loaded with testosterone, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, there, there was a pretty big study, systematic review in 2014 that showed that's not the case, that it does not increase cardiovascular disease definitively in women. Okay. Yeah, I've heard of people, women using Viagra. Well, that has, has been looked at and that really has fallen out of favor. There was an initial thought that using Cialis or sildenafil, which is the generic name for Viagra, because of the mechanism of action that it it does in the male where it increases blood flow to the genitalia. In fact, there was a study that even you did with Dopplers, which showed a 300% increase in the blood flow female genitalia by taking these medications. The group is called phosphodiesterase inhibitors. (laughs) There's a word to say. Phosphodiesterase inhibitors. Wow. (laughs) Say that twice. Anyway. But if you look at the side effects actually outweighed the benefits on most of the studies done with that. So we're actually, that's kind of fallen out of favor. And then phlebanserin came out and we talked a little bit about that one last time. Phlebanserin is the Addy for premenopausal. Yeah. It's been shown to help. Actually, it's been shown that the data was better in the postmenopausal population than it was in the premenopausal. Very interesting when that came out, it was kind of being touted as the female Viagra even though it has absolutely nothing in common with the way Viagra work on men, and it actually works on serotonin receptors in the, in the brain. But the efficacy was extremely marginal. When they did the initial studies on this, it actually really didn't show a huge benefit. It showed some, but there was this big push that, hey, we have all these medications for male sexual dysfunction, and we don't have anything for females. And there was a lot of pressure on the folks in the FDA to approve this. And I always kind of raised my eyebrow when I was reading about this coming out. But I will tell you, even that being said, the patients I've used it in have definitely had some benefit. So I think that this goes back to just about anything you use for sexual dysfunction has a 30 percent placebo effect. (laughs) The FDA did approve it just premenopausal. Yeah. Approve or postmenopausal. But but actually – more recently, it's been shown to be more beneficial in the postmenopausal. Huh. I wonder if they'll come back and revisit so, that. I'm sure they will. So That's so much information. Okay, let's move on. I feel like we need to have a whole episode on medications and supplements that will help the sex drive for women, as this is an ongoing issue and problem for women. I'm 57, and it's an issue for my friends and for me. So I think it's going to be something we need to talk a little bit more about. So let's let's move on. I want to talk about... Well, go ahead. Let me go back for just a second because I think it gets the most attention. And some of the other categories of sexual dysfunction are kind of glossed over. And that's the genitopelvic pain and penetration category. And this, yes. this is, these are patients that have the really, really painful vaginospasm, the spasm of the perivaginal walls, where basically sex hurts so bad that the brain just says, I don't want this. And right. it, it shuts everything down. And that creates an aversion. And basically just when something hurts, your brain's going to avoid it. And the upper part of your brain is going to not release the normal hormones that make you feel horny, et cetera. 
And so I think that is overlooked. And a lot of times also medications, you know, we looked at medication induced. It's the number one. It's the number one reason, particularly for orgasm disorder. And that was another one of the categories, difficulty achieving or delay in achieving orgasm. And, you know, what do we see the most with that? SSRIs, SSRIs, these like Zoloft, Prozac, all of these. Wow. Okay. All these medications, that's their number one side effect. And interestingly, I don't know if you guys read, but using bupropion as a supplement. Yeah. Have you guys read? Oh, yeah. And so, it works. Yeah, you're using bupropion. And, and, Wellbutrin. Wellbutrin is the brand name. And there's a good study that showed using that as a supplement would offset some of the sexual side effects of these SSRI medications. SSRIs, once again, are Zoloft, Prozac, very commonly prescribed medications for depression. Really, really interesting. And I think there, like I said, so much more that we can talk about. And I want to just touch on the pain, painful sex. I don't think it even can be limited to just vaginal pain or vulvar yes. pain. I have a bad hip and it makes sex painful, right? And so my receptors in my brain are saying, don't do that. You don't want this. And so I think as we age, there are other things that come into play, arthritis, anything else that would cause us to have painful sex. And then your brain, it, it you know, when they say it is, it's in your head, it, it really is in your head. And for women, we need to be aroused in our head first. It's not a visual arousal all the time that helps for women. So I think there's so much to talk about here and I hope we can. I know for me, when I start, when patients come in and they say sex is painful, especially if she's starting to get older, the first thing I ask, well, do you feel like you're well lubricated? And that leads into the question of, okay, if you're not well lubricated, then there's some over-the-counter things we can do. We can also do some vaginal cream if you're postmenopausal with estrogen. Also, I start asking them, okay, is it painful with first insertion or the whole thing? Does it depend on position? Right. Which position feels better? Because if it's more of a deeper pain, then with deeper penetration, then that's probably like an ovary, a cervix that's being hit, a uterine mass, endometriosis, something like that. It's not in the vagina. So that kind of leads me which way to figure out where her pain is coming from. Also, we address, is there any sexual trauma or abuse Mm. or molestation that could be causing some of the issue with pain? Because I think a lot of this too, it goes into a cycle, right? You have one event or, you know, whether it's, you had an episiotomy, right, mm-hmm. during your vaginal delivery, or you had sexual trauma, you know, or you had hip pain, like you're talking about. And then every time, right, you have issue with lubrication because you're not, you're finding it hard to get in the mood right. because you, right. it's going to be painful, right? And then your muscles in your pelvis, they start to, they can tense up, right? Because they're kind of anticipating pain. Happen, which, yeah, which you know is going to be painful, you know? So when you have a combination of tense muscles, you're not lubricated, right? You have this either sexual trauma or something that's physically or emotionally going on. This leads to all these negative things that pile up during sex. And then obviously sex is not going to be comfortable when you have tense muscles down right. the pelvis. Right? So imagine if you wake up in the middle of the night with a Charlie horse, right? Imagine that in your pelvis and then trying to have sex with it, right? And then yeah. it becomes this, it's this, just a vicious this cycle. yeah, this vicious feedback loop. And what you got to do is essentially break that cycle. I would say if there's one tool pharmacologic tool that I would say is one of the most important things we use in day-to-day gynecology. It's vaginal estrogen cream. I've probably improved the lives of more patients with that than any surgery or anything like that, because I can't tell you how many patients come in in their mid-50s. 
and they're dry. A lot of people have a hang up about using a lubricant. Right. You shouldn't get over that. Okay. Use the lubricant. It makes it a lot easier. Besides, there's an inverse relationship with the amount of time you've been with the person and the time of foreplay. Okay. So the amount of foreplay when you're first with somebody is quite a bit, right? Right. Gives your, t- gives your vagina time to sort of get ready, get the engine running, if you will. Okay. Well, you know, when you've been married 25 years, it's like, do you want to? Yeah. Do you want to? Okay. <laughs> that's a common scenario. And that's with, as we age, we, our motor needs longer to get going, right. <laughs> if you know what I mean. So foreplay becomes more important later on. And if there's sort of lack of foreplay, yeah, you, you really should use a lubricant because when the penis mm-hmm. goes into an unlubricated vagina, that skin, it pulls. It, it, I can't imagine it's comfortable for a man either level it's like millions of paper cuts that's kind of what i tell patients is when that when that skin pulls and it hurts for days right and so using estrogen cream to sort of rejuvenate that tissue and it does do that even on a subdermal level and it's done safely even patients in very certain circumstances and i'm not saying that anybody can do this but always 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 do this with a obgyn or somebody that knows hormone therapy but even patients that have certain types of breast cancers in very low doses even according to American Menopause Association and, and other organizations, you can use low doses of estrogen cream safely in these patients. So it sounds like it's one of the most important things you can do is to talk to your doctor about it. It seems like women, we tend to solve all our own problems. And this isn't something that can just be solved or you can wish away. And it's a real issue. I mean, you are talking to patients every day about this this issue. So why do you think there's a stigma? Why do you think women feel like they can't talk to somebody or their doctor about it? They're embarrassed. I mean, nobody really wants to talk. Sex for some people is very private and the questions we ask can be very detailed and they might not want right. to answer those questions. It's so interesting. I think a lot of it has to do with our society too. You know, we were really a puritanistic Christian society or, or any other religion where we are not supposed to talk about stuff like this. And I think it's really great that we're talking about it more now. Let's talk about sex during menstruation. Is that something that shouldn't be done? Is it okay? Is it other than messy? Is it just something that shouldn't be done? <laughs> Mallory, Mallory summed it up. Just put the towel down. Yep. Just put the towel down. So it's okay to have sex when you're menstruating. Well, <laughs> That's right no danger in doing it. It's not really going to hurt anything. I mean, and I'll tell you one little thing that this just kind of reminds me of is that a lot of times people say, well, that's the safe time you won't get pregnant. Okay. Because if, you, <laughs> if your period is starting and, and if it's your actual period, you're not going to get pregnant. That's not when you're fertile. However, right. there are some patients that do spot or bleed a little bit when they ovulate. Okay. Right. That's kind of a common thing. And so patients might think, oh, okay, this is my period. I'm safe. And, and that may have and unprotected sex. Or, oops. You know, have a have an oops. Yeah. Okay, so there you go. But there's no there's no medical danger. Okay. Just stain your sheets. That's the only thing. Yeah. Put the towel down. Put the towel down. There, exactly. put the towel down. Okay. Let's talk about sex after childbirth then. What are the warnings? What are the issues? I if I remember my own experience, it was wait six weeks after you give birth to have sex, natural or any other type, whether you had an episiotomy or a C section or a surgery if you had your tubes tied, if you had tubal ligation or knee replacement, hip replacement? What are the rules post-childbirth, post-surgery? I think it's easy for us as clinicians to just tell everybody to wait six weeks. But in actuality, that's probably not feasible. 
there's patients that will come in and it's their third baby and they don't have any tear, nothing. They had a but delivery. It was a piece of cake. Nothing bad is going to happen to that patient if she has sex in three or four weeks. Okay. okay. Now she might get pregnant again. Like, yeah, she might get pregnant again. Really? Some people can ovulate very quickly Ooh. after. And I'll also add that that's, you know, going back to sex dysfunction, that was kind of one of the categories was the sexual dysfunction associated with recent delivery, mm, because okay. especially in breastfeeding women, remember breastfeeding means very, very low estrogen levels. When these patients come in at their six or seven weeks in the middle of breastfeeding, their vaginas, their labia, everything's kind of shriveled up and it looks like a postmenopausal vagina. Mm-hmm. And so I tell all those patients, okay, you can have sex now, but you're going to want to definitely use a, a lubricant. lubricant. Yeah. It's going to hurt otherwise, and it's normal that you're dry. And yes, I promise you, your vagina is going to be a beautiful orchid again one day. <laughs> but, I don't know, whatever. I guess orchid's probably the wrong thing since that's Latin for penis. <laughs> or Latin for, uh, but anyway, flower, just say flower. Flower. But anyway, it always comes back. That's all reversible once they stop breastfeeding. Uh, okay. The estrogen will come back to normal. We, I always ask, let me clear you. Let me look at it. Make sure yeah. you're healed up. Yeah. And then you can have intercourse. From a standpoint of C-section or post-cesarean, it's a little bit of a different situation because you can't really see what's the, the, the healing that's going on on the inside. So those patients really do need to wait yeah. a full six weeks. Okay. Yeah, my, my six week, well, she wasn't six weeks. She was one week postpartum from a C-section, gave me the best giggle. She said, well, I know I can't have vaginal sex. What about anal? I was like, A for effort, ma'am. Wow. A for effort because she thought that through because nothing went. She she explained herself. She was like, "Well, nothing went in the vagina, and I just had the a rack. section Oh yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, she yeah. was like, "I just had a B section, so can I have <laughs> anal?" I was like, "A for effort because you really thought that through, but still no." Yeah, but still no, right? One of my favorite things to do. I don't know. Sometimes our job gets a little monotonous. And I'll just look for things to do to sort of entertain myself. And one of my favorite things to do is when I have a couple that's had a baby and they're in there and they're postpartum. And then the uh, the patient will look at me and say, hey, well, so when can we have sex? And I'll look at us. Yeah, I don't think your husband is really going to appreciate that very much. But uh, <laughs> maybe we should make it out. <laughs> no, I like it. That's That's good. That's good. So what about other types of surgery? So like a hip replacement, which I'm facing, or knee replacement. Or back surgery? What is the advice you give for Actually, those I listen types to your body in those scenarios. If yeah. it's hurting, you stop and do okay. it different or just take it easier. Maybe wait another week or so. But the big thing after like abdominal surgeries, right, is sometimes during sex, you know, you're, you know, you're, yeah. you're, right. you're in your abdomen, right? So I think the concern there is you want to decrease your risk of herniation with that fascia right. to heal it well. And typically that weightlifting restrictions after abdominal surgery is around six weeks. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's why that's, again, that six weeks come back into play just to decrease okay. that. But I will tell you that the most important would be after they've had a uterectomy, the, the procedure previously known as a hysterectomy. Right, right. Because when the vagina is sewn up and we sew that, that's got to heal. And if a penis goes in there, it can open that up and your intra-abdominal contents can come out. That that's is a not good. That's bad. So that's patients that are after a hysterectomy, which we don't use that word anymore, but I just want to emphasize the point. <laughs> we don't use that Those word anymore. Those patients need to be cleared. They, somebody has to look there, make sure it's healed before those patients have intercourse. Good. How much time do you give them? Six to eight weeks, I always tell them. I tell them eight. I, that's the I think eight's a good round. time to pick because they might not make it to eight. At least they made it to six. Exactly. No, the because she, I had one that, that she, she popped a hole and I had to take it to the OR. Oh. She did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember when, when my wife had our first baby and actually it was my friend who's the OBGYN and I, I go to the postpartum visit with her 
and he comes in and I acted, okay, this is, I was like, I acted like I was sort of pulling my pants back up, you know, like, <laughs> he looked at me and he's like, well, I said, no, you said wait six weeks, wait till the postpartum appointment. You did not say wait until after the <laughs> Dr. Wolf. <gasps> Okay. Fire today. You are on fire today. I don't yeah, know what we're going to do with you. Man. Since we're talking about sex, let's talk about sex toys or enhanced sex. Is it safe? Is it ever safe? Is it always safe? You know, what are your guidelines when a patient asks about toys and enhanced sex? It's safe, but know your limits. I mean, if it's painful, <laughs> you probably want to stop. Don't lose it. And don't lose saying, it. Yeah. I think I think the simpler the better. Like just a plain old good old vibrator, okay? That doesn't yeah. have a lot of moving parts and doesn't have things that can come off or like whatnot. a perfume bottle. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Because yeah. like I think each one of us have our own lots of stories about different objects getting lost in the rectum or you know different places. So okay. and, and or falling. Yeah, or falling, or just be careful with the size and that kind yeah. of stuff because things can get out of Ooh, hand. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. Good advice. Okay. We're, we're going to hit, uh, get our rumor hit list here. I had one just float in. Douching will reduce pregnancy if you douche right after you have sex. Okay. No, that will not happen. By okay. the time you get out of bed, get the douche in, you're already pregnant. Okay. <laughs> All right. Those, those buggers are fast then. Is that what you're telling me? And on top of that, that, we don't want to douche anyways. That's going to destroy that vaginal floor Mm -hmm. there that we're trying to keep, uh, you know, like our, what was the analogy you used before about your vaginal floor, your garden or whatever? It's your your front lawn. Your front lawn. Yeah. It's your front front lawn. lawn, You know, in good shape. Okay. All right. All right. Next one. You can't get pregnant while you are nursing. So sex away. No, you can get Irish twins that way. (laughs) Oh, okay. So that's babies that are born within the same year. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, uh, in general, patients will get about three months of contraception from breastfeeding, and okay. that's average. And there's nothing definitive about that. And so, I really tell them after that six month visit, I say you really need to start thinking about using something, IUDs, and we even have a, a birth control pill that can be used that does not have estrogen in it. It's an estrogen free birth control pill. Those are all fine to start at six weeks. Okay. Um, and, and remember, you don't want to use estrogen containing products when you're breastfeeding because it will decrease the milk production. It has nothing to do with the estrogen getting in the milk and hurting the baby or anything like that. It'll just... Dry, it dries you up. Yeah. Correct. Okay. All right. Um, last rumor here. When we're talking about birth control or morning after pill, these will prevent you from getting an STI. Well, no. No. That, that we think no, that's no. completely false. The root of where these rumors come from. Right. So explain that. Again. I, I think that... So any progestin, either whether it's a contraceptive or it's the morning after pill, which is just a high dose of a progestin, okay? So any progestin is one of the ways that it works is it thickens the cervical mucus, okay? So I think people get this idea, well, hey, if that's one of the main ways that a progestin keeps me from getting pregnant, it'll also act like a plug and sort of keep the chlamydia from swimming up, if you will, to decrease the risk of pelvic inflammatory disease or an internalized infection of chlamydia or gonorrhea. I think that's where maybe that rumor gets started, but we still see plenty of people that are on contraceptives or that may have used the morning after pill and they can still get a raging chlamydia or gonorrhea infection. Not to mention herpes, which has nothing to do with any of that. That's a skin disease, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, so much to talk about. And and we will be back talking more about sex in future sex episodes. But I want to thank you guys so much for sharing your knowledge, sharing your experience. 
some of your stories. Some of your stories weren't great, Dr. Wolf, but but no. we can. <laughs> no, they're always great. It's always fun and always, Both always great, informative. They're always entertaining. They're that? always entertaining and well, my, always informative. My, my mom said, ever since I was a child, my mama said, my mama said that I crave attention. That's always come out from the stories I tell. And, and she said it was irrelevant whether it was positive or negative attention. It didn't, <laughs> matter. Matter. It didn't matter. Well, that, well, that's good. That's good. As always, we want to thank our sponsors. We have some amazing sponsors here at The Vagicians. Of course, Healthy Start and the others, Emerald Coast, All About Women, and Panama City Surgical, Surgical Center. Center. Right. We've, we've got some hey, great... I want to do a shout out to those guys real quick. Okay. Panama City Surgery Center. Awesome. Awesome place. There's a neat little fact. You know, we've talked a lot about robotic surgery and whatnot that we all do. Panama City Surgery Center. Yes. Little Panama City. We were the first ambulatory surgery center in America to have a robust robotics program. I just think that's noteworthy. And we've been doing it a very long time in this community. I think we had early adopters of the technology and that's one of the reasons, but I just want to make sure those guys That's get great. Uh, yeah. they, they took the risk. They bought this, you know, machine that cost way over a million. Oh, dollars. so much money. Yeah. So hats off to them for sure for that. Uh, that's amazing. And of course, Robust leads us into our next episode. When we come back, episode right. nine, we're right. going to be talking. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we'll be talking about breasts. So make sure you tune in for episode nine. It's been a pleasure, my wonderful team of magicians. Thanks. Bye. 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 Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Vagicians, where we answer the questions you may be afraid to ask. A little legalese for you. The physician hosts of this podcast are actively practicing doctors in the field of obstetrics and gynecology. They are all three licensed to practice medicine in their respective state and are either board certified or board eligible within their specialty. This podcast is for entertainment and education only. Any content from this program should not be considered official medical advice, and listening to this podcast should not by any means be considered a legal patient-physician relationship. If you have a medical issue worthy of discussion on this program, you should seek immediate medical attention with the physician of your choice. The Vagicians is made possible by our generous sponsors. All About Women OBGYN, with a mission to promote, protect, and restore health in women's reproductive systems and a legacy that spans greater than 50 years, you can trust all your women's healthcare needs to All About Women OBGYN. Healthy Start Coalition of Bay, Franklin, and Gulf Counties. Healthy Start's mission is to promote healthy pregnancies, babies, and families by providing services and facilitating access to resources through community partnerships while advancing racial equity and cultural responsiveness. Emerald Coast Obstetrics and Gynecology. Offering a dedicated medical care team, Emerald Coast specializes exclusively in women's health services in Panama City, Florida, and Panama City Surgery Center. Located in Panama City, Florida, the Surgery Center offers top medical specialties and services in one convenient location with minimally invasive outpatient procedures to get you back to normal life quickly. The Vagicians podcast is produced by host Rayanne Thorne Kruger. Our editor is Igor Kuzmanovsky with Ike Isabella as our announcer. And finally, a special thanks to our spouses, partners, and families for their support, ideas, and feedback. 
Thank you.